Welcome to People of Tech. I'm your host, Charles Commons. In this brand new podcast, I'm going to be finding out the stories of the people behind the business. Whether the subject is security, artificial intelligence, or customer experience, each week I'll be taking an informal look at how the people who matter arrived in their role and the challenges they face on a daily basis. In this first episode, I meet the data protection and security officer of John Lewis and Partners, Steve Wright. Steve Wright has worked in the field of information security for 25 years. He has worked for some of the biggest brand names in the world, including Siemens, Unilever and Deloitte. Steve has worked for John Lewis and Partners since April 2016 and is a prominent name in his field, often sharing his insights as a guest speaker at conferences held throughout Europe. To help set the scene, Steve explains who John Lewis are and provides a few insights into the well-known UK department store brand that you may not know. As you know, John Lewis has been around um, for over 100 years and it started with one branch in Oxford Street here in London and grew from there. It is and was then a department store um, offering uh, a suite of concessions so that customers could come in and buy really good quality products. And also it started its own brands Um, and started making um, household items as well as clothes, which uh, got its own following and and its own identity. It's now um, a nearly £12 billion company, predominantly in the UK, although they operate uh, under license in 34 other countries around the world. Most of it, as you said, is made up between the grocery arm, which is Ratrose, which has 350 shops, and the John Lewis, which most people are familiar with, which has about 50 shops. The John Lewis Partnership, a name synonymous with excellent value, customer service, integrity and vision. Many are unaware that this modern stalwart of British retail has a near-revolutionary history, defying two world wars, the Great Depression, political upheavals and countless economic recessions. Its legacy is attributed to one man and his lifelong experiment for social justice and business ingenuity. It's made up of 85,000 staff spread all over those um, stores but also we have distribution centers one of the largest in europe is our robotic one which delivers our online products nearly all of our products um, i think it's fifteen thousand of them are available online and you can click and collect at any one of the branches so 400 branches but also obviously that, that includes home delivery and the, uh, the, the centre where this is all done is, is a massive, huge um, centre in Milton Keynes. And it's mainly robotic and it's fascinating to see. It takes 20 minutes from the time you click on an item for that item to be boxed and ready to be dispatched, which is just phenomenal. And that's all done using the very latest in robotics. And, and it's, it's just staggering to watch. In 1909, Speedon was thrown from his horse whilst riding into work. He spent two years convalescing, 
a crucial period of time for both Speeden and the family business, as it was here that he dreamt up the idea for the partnership. He was absolutely obsessed with fairness, and he really wanted the people that worked for him to share the profits of the business. What really made him think that was there was him, his father and his brother, and they were taking something like £26,000 a year out of the business. He had 300 employees, and they were only taking £16,000. So he, he thought for a long time that perhaps the way was to go for a limited liability company, because by doing that... They could share the risk, he could put capital into the business, and it could grow. Speedon's thoughts for a third way were not overtly philanthropic, merely that he believed in fairness and humanity. The John Lewis partnership is that. It's a partnership. It's very similar to a cooperative um, in as much as we don't have shareholders. We, we are the shareholders. We the partners. So everybody um, feels part of it. There's strong loyalty to the brand and to the ethos of the organisation. It was at that time, Never Knowingly Undersold came out as a slogan, and that's still the backbone of our business today. The first advert came out in the late 20s, saying it was the best value in London and the most obliging staff. So he was really pushing the brand. He was getting really serious about how he wanted this company to be run. I mean, he actually drew up a 268-page constitution. That's really revolutionary again. Perhaps today we call command and control, but there it is written down so partners or anybody can actually see that's the way the company is to be run. Is it possible from your limited time with the organisation to talk about some of the digital transformation you've been privy to in your time there? Yeah, I think um, I've only been here a few years, but even in that short period of time, I've seen a massive, massive drive towards efficiency and effectiveness. And the only way that you can do that is by modernisation. So the so we are being pushed, uh, uh, quite rightly so, to look at our areas, look at what we do, even though the area and the capability that I brought in and built um, from scratch, you know, was heavily reliant on um, manual processes. We are constantly being pushed to see how we can digitize that and make that into a much more efficient and effective way of doing our work. And that's particularly important and prevalent in terms of security, but also in terms of privacy, which I have joint responsibility for. So how long has the role of information security officer and data protection been in situ at John Lewis for? Well, I think it's fair to say since I joined, um, John Lewis had a series of information security officers, but it was done at a local level. So in terms of the two brands at Waitrose and John Lewis, and never before had they had someone that had the, you know, the group coordination role. So my role was to bring together these disparate teams and see where harmonisation and efficiency could be driven through. And in particular, about how we were addressing the threats, because the threats were obviously exactly the same for JL as they were for Waitrose. Um, And a lot of the merging of those teams has meant that we we can we're far more quicker at identifying trends, um, you know, signatures in terms of um, threat actors, and and then how we respond to those. It's much more efficient and effective, and quick, uh, essentially, on ha- how we respond to those 
issues. So is it fair to say then that that before your time that maybe it was it was just the case that there needed to be more collaboration between the two brands if you like within the business? Exactly Charles. Um, I, I think all I've done really in my time there is managed to join up the dots and try to get the singing from the same hymn sheets which you know on the face of it that, that doesn't sound very hard but <laughs> I can assure you um, these teams were embedded and used to doing things their way. So I just brought people together in workshops, helped them to realise that we had shared objectives. Um, and that was keeping the, you know, the bad guys out and the, and the good guys safe. So so by joining that and, and especially then folding in privacy to that, um, we've been really effective and possibly one of the sort of... Um, first to do that in a, in a joint way in, in the industry or certainly within the retail industry especially. We'll take a short break now and when we come back we'll look at how Steve dealt with a major change at the John Lewis brand at the beginning of 2018. Content marketing is it's our obsession. Consumers are always being bombarded with content so white papers mostly they are used I guess to persuade people. When you're refreshing content, really you're updating it. Go through your notifications every day and respond to people that are connecting with you. We've seen a real fundamental shift in the dynamics of marketing over the last 10 to 15 years. Tech Demand Weekly, the weekly podcast for marketing professionals. Now they know that I'm not just playing the sport for fun, I'm watching the scoreboard. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to People of Tech, where I'm speaking with John Lewis and Partners Data Protection and Security Officer Steve Wright. At the start of 2018, John Lewis rebranded to become John Lewis and Partners. I asked Steve how much pressure that change in branding put him and his team under. <laughs> well, yeah, tremendous <laughs> uh, amount of pressure, not because of GDPR alone, but because we have to naturally like every other organization we have to report within 72 hours and that again has led to unfortunately because because i had responsibility for both i I was looking at both from the harm of the individual and the rights and freedoms of the individual as well as the confidentiality and the integrity Um, and of course the shared goal of reputational minimization damage and the shared goal of brand protection. So so by putting those two strands together and, and, and heading it off in the same direction, I think we've managed to um, secure far more than perhaps some of our um, competitors in terms of having that joined up approach. So it has been, you know, incredibly difficult um and and stressful at times but we've we we sailed through those wins and we've we've now come out the better the other side of that now that's not to say that we're not still vulnerable um we are a number one target um one you know just like any organization that holds credit card data or um, sensitive personal data about our customers we do know uh, you know a fair bit about our customers naturally to, to ensure that they receive the tailored messages and you know based on their own preferences all of that is rich data which the criminals wish to get hold of 
um, so that they can, you know, launch an attack, etc. So, so we 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 fully understand the level of um, responsibility that we have to our partners and to our customers to ensure that that data is protected. At the same time that we ensure their rights are maintained. Yeah, so uh, one of the things that I, I'm aware of um, as being a customer of John Lewis is um, the store cards um, and and the user profiles that that, uh, that are holding customers' personal details um, that any company I, I would imagine would do. Um, but we've recently seen the implementation of GDPR this year, um, and how has that changed the game for you? Well, um, we had already secured um, increased funding uh, spent on our cybersecurity initiatives from the board um, the year before. So, so that was an issue. I think what GDPR did and helped you know, a lot was t- to see how, um, how this affects every part of the organisation. And very early on when I joined, I asked um, several members of the board to take ownership of their particular data sets. So that was HR or partner data, um, finance, supplier data, which is my boss, the CFO, um, Patrick Lewis, and customer data. Um, and what, what, what we were able to do with that was help them understand their responsibilities under GDPR as as the accountable person and was able to help um, drive through the initiatives and for them individually to take ownership of of those initiatives in their respective areas. And that really set the ball rolling in terms of how we can now demonstrate compliance to GDPR because of that that level of accountability and ownership that's felt at that board level. So the question of data security and privacy, that's somewhat intensified in recent years, obviously. Some years ago, we saw the landmark hacking of Ashley Madison, and then most recently, the British Airways hacking. Um, It's not only seen their brand tarnished, but the trust in them has been damaged too. So much so that they've actually had a head on the block at the top. Um, What's your thoughts on the industry as a whole and how brutal it can be? Well, for all of my fellow CSOs, I mean, CISOs and data protection officers, I have the pleasure of working with both and um, rubbing shoulders with the great and good. There are some industry, you know, titans out there um, in in both sectors. And I love to rub shoulders with them because I always hope to learn from them and and, and take their sort of thoughts and um, challenge my own thinking um, about how, how to best do this. Um, I think it it's a tough, tough business, um, the CISO and, and the DPO. It is it is a bit of a thankless task. Um, you don't get, you know, pat on the back for 
being told, um, guess what, you thwarted another attack. Well done. You know, my boss doesn't come down and congratulate me. Um, likewise, you know, our ability to be defensible in court from, from you know, if we were to face some enforcement action or, you know, class action, you know, there, there's no one sort of cheering from the sidelines. It's, it's a bit of a thankless task. What it what I do find among all of my peers um, is that there's a quiet satisfaction, you know, between us that we know we're doing a good job and that we are, you know, we are obviously human, but we're we're doing the best that we think to protect the individual, to protect our businesses, you know, and. And that gives you an enormous sense of well-being and fulfilment because, you know, because you're not getting those pats on the back for doing a great job. Let's be honest, you know, we're constantly um, singing for our soup. um, And so so whether that's a CISO, you know, uh, trying to explain why they need to build their, you know, a stronger capability in in their red team and blue teams, you know, or, or or whatever the makeup of their organisation, or whether that's forensics or whatever it is, is always a constant battle against the numbers to justify why we're there. Because ultimately, we're like an insurance policy. We're just trying to, like I said, keep keep you know keep the good guys safe and the bad guys out, and and that's quite hard to do. Um, and no one really sort of thanks you for it. It's, it's just one of those thankless tasks that that you um, you know you just you've got to seek your own satisfaction that you're doing a really good job and and you know every day that you you don't make the headlines is a good day. British Airways has apologised after the credit card details of hundreds of thousands of its customers were stolen following a major data breach on its website and mobile app. The airline said the incidents occurred between August the 21st and September the 5th. The stolen data isn't thought to include travel or passport details. BA is uh, advising those affected to contact their credit card providers as soon as possible. Yeah, I suppose in a way it's the, you can liken it to maybe, say, the, the police force or, or the ambulance service. You know, it's very often that you, you'll hear the bad side of what's happened. But it, when they do something great, it, it doesn't tend to make the news. And that, that must be a case of then that um, they will sort of get their, their congratulations from within um, and, and, you know, from other forces and, 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 and peers, basically, rather than the public. That's right. I mean, for example, I, I won uh, an award last year, which is quite ironic, um, called the um, uh, CISO Unsung Hero Award, <laughs> um, which, which was which was a uh, an accolade, you know, by my peer group. You know, I was voted as as you know being a thought leader in in in, in that space in the retail sector specifically, and that that's. That was nice because yeah, it is it is unsung hero. <laughs> you know, you don't we don't go into this for for the limelight, for the kudos. We're we're there to sort of be behind the scenes. Um, you're quite you, you know your example of the police and you know um, etc. You know all of the services that they do it because they have a sense of pride and they know deep down that what they're doing is helping. And that's that's all we that's what we work for. It's that that, that sense of pride that we're we're trying to contribute 
by leading a team, by, by defending our businesses, um, by keeping the reputation intact, and by, you know, ensuring the rights and freedoms of individuals are enabled um, from a privacy and GDPR perspective. And that that's good enough, you know, that's what it's about. And when you, when, you know, if you're doing a good job, then, um, you you know, you're, you're quiet, <laughs> you're, un, you're unsung, you know, and that's, that's what you want. It's, it's, it's when the horrible happens, like with British Airways, you know, and none of us, by the way, um, sit there and gloat um, and think, uh, you know, because it could uh, have been any one of us, you know, perhaps mistakes were made, but unfortunately, um, you know, we are all only human and, and people do make mistakes. So even the best safeguards, the best controls, the best defences won't protect you from someone making a mistake. And and so British Airways could have been any one of us. And so, you know, it's, it's more empathetic than it is, um, you know, thinking, you know, thinking, oh, that was that was poor security or that was bad management. You know, it's, it's more to do with the fact that, um, it is just a difficult job and it's a constant, constant battle. Uh, yeah, I, it certainly sounds. I mean, when I first heard about it, uh, I mean, as a customer of British Airways, the first thing you do is obviously go, oh my goodness, that is terrible. How could this, this actually happen? And of course, that's the, the branch that the media grab onto, isn't it? And then, and then push that out into the effort. Um, but when you then stop and think about it, you are completely right. It's it's human error at the end of the day that that may well have caused uh, caused the issue at the time, and and unfortunately, it's um, I, I suppose it's it's a, a repercussion of not just the actual incident itself, but the furore that the incident then caused. So with the media being involved uh, and, and things like that, and then obviously shareholdings and um, and, and other reasons for it. Yeah, and, and there might be justifiable reasons why, um, you know, particular testing wasn't done um, or, you, you know, uh, an expensive uh, web application firewall wasn't put in place. And that, that you know, and, and people do need to be accountable. I'm not suggesting that they don't, but I'm just, you know, it, it, is, it is really constant, tough judgment calls, you know, um, do you invest in this technology? Do you invest in that team? Uh, do, you know, there's a lot of innovation coming out in the market, which is brilliant. That's a great thing about this industry. The security and privacy industry is constantly evolving um, new different ways, new technologies, tools, etc. And that's brilliant. But it, it's also very difficult to keep up with that. Do you think you said um, earlier about how um, you'd had a budget increase last year or this year for for the security? Do incidents incidents like this with British Airways make it easier for you to actually get that funding from your board? Yeah, without doubt, um, there are. Uh, it, it helps that the awareness, you know, going back over the years. You know, for me, we, we saw a big sort of step change in, in board level attitudes was with the HMRC incident, if you're going back some now. Um, that that was the sort of turning point, if you like, and, and suddenly, you know, 
boards started to wake up to the to the very real possibility that you know a couple of cds could slip you know slip out the back of a bag or down the back of a radiator as i suspect that's what happened um and you know your data's out there right <laughs> um and that's when they the industry the 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 um newspaper industry started coining the phrase cyber security up until then it was it was you know it was just security and and it was very difficult to determine why this needed to be a boardroom issue so that's definitely helped although i do loathe um people who use the fear uncertainty and doubt factor to win over boards and um, budgets and i, I realized that that is incredibly hard for us in, in in the security industry to to justify what why we need to spend this money um without the use of that um but my my challenge to 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 myself and to the industry is you know we we have to think about the business utilizing the data and utilizing it in the correct way in a secure way in a confidential way you know in in line with the law um and that to me is is a better sell you know about how we're gonna you know in in doing so we're going to clean up the data you know that's the good thing about gdpr in terms of retention we're not going to retain it it's not going to be used for purposes for which it hasn't been you know for for what it was collected beyond those purposes so that's really helped us take the conversation away from this fear uncertainty and doubt this fud factor and much more about utilizing the data in in a, in a better way uh better for our customers better for our marketeers be, you know better for our data analytics teams um and and ultimately better for us because the, you know the cleaner the data the clearer it is the understanding where it is and what it's vulnerable from at any one stage helps us build appropriate controls um that can keep the cost minimal that can help us to manage this this huge data vast data ocean that we have to deal with and, and we've got to try and secure we'll have more from steve wright and the challenges he faces in his role next week please leave us a review on apple podcasts in the meantime it really does help the show to be found by more people thanks for listening I'm Charles Commons and this is People of Tech.